Hello, friends, and welcome to episode eight of Night Rule. I was beyond thrilled to have a long conversation with T of Champagne Sharks, uh, probably my favorite podcast out there. Discussion on uh, culture and politics and psychology. And uh, it was extremely enjoyable. So I hope you all can enjoy it very much as well. Um, one thing we didn't talk too much about that I wanted to hit on uh, that we didn't get a chance to was Hamilton. So uh, I will again recommend that you all listen to Champagne Sharks episode three for their discussion on Hamilton and uh, the response to it. For today's intro, we'll, we'll be listening to the unparalleled brilliance of Sakamoto Ryuchi. The name of this track is Riot in Lagos. And for the outro, we will again listen to some Koshi Maharu. The name of this track is dialogue between Jill and Jean. So without any further ado, please turn off the lights, put on your most comfortable socks, get nestled in your favorite nestle area, and prepare for a wonderful night rule with Champagne Sharks. Enjoy responsibly. The joke I always make about uh, desktops versus laptops is, is you know, a laptop is is built by pseudo slave labor in Asia, and then a desktop is really just like components made with pseudo slave labor in Asia. So it's a lot cheaper, <laughs> you know. The markup they can they can really mark it up on a laptop for you, but if you just buy a PC and build it yourself, for example, because they have the same pseudo slaves I've, making I've always... the component components, so you kind of cut out the middleman. You save yourself a lot of money. <laughs> I've always wanted to um, build a desktop, but I've just never gotten around to doing it. Uh, but I know it's not as hard as a lot of people think. Um, well, it's not. I remember a friend of mine put it really well when he said that the, all the pieces that, that if something doesn't fit, it doesn't go there. And if it fits, it goes there, you know, like they, they make them so oh, that you, you can't, you, you can't really like mess it up. Cause like if it snaps in, that's where it should go. So you just kind of like look and see. Um, but, that's really uh, helpful, I, actually. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, because if you think about it, like, of course, that's the way it works, right? You like look at the different parts. You're like, this looks like this goes there, and you plug it in, and what, what do you know? They designed <laughs> they designed it so that the parts that fit together are the parts that need to fit together. Um, I actually had an idea earlier today, and this is very like uh, the, the exact kind of idea I have on like a Christmas Eve where I'm like despondent and like anti-consumerist. Um, it's like, I want to make like a game show started off. I was thinking, cause I, I moved my computer for this recording. Um, 
And I was thinking, uh, and I, I only had about 10 minutes to do it, but I knew I could do it, you know, pretty efficient that way. And I thought it would, it would be an interesting kind of dystopic game show where you could have this like office space uh, style satire and then interspersed with the game show where like people who actually worked in IT in real life had to, you know, assemble computers as quickly as possible in competition with each other. Oh yeah, that'll be actually, that sounds so um, obvious. I'm shocked it didn't happen. It sounds like a, like, I mean, I guess it's not that obvious since no one ever made it, but when, <laughs> when you say it, when you say it, it Does sounds it's... like, oh, of course that'll be a great show. But like, if you th if you know people in IT, I mean, I think really the to make it work, you'd have to have the satirical element, you know, where you have like the the host would be someone who's just like an annoying boss, middle management type, who's just like, well, I don't know anything about computers, but I know yeah, I you think... guys know how to do this stuff, so you know, go do your thing. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it has to have some kind of lowest common denominator element that people can latch onto because, like for example, that show where people built robots. Even if you're bored by the um, robot building technical part, you can at least enjoy watching them fight. They used to be the show where two two sides had to build. Um, what was a, that a show fight. called? Battlebots. If that, that yeah, was like some of I the finest it, television ever put to screen. Yeah, it was. It was pretty good, even though it got old fast. If you watched too much of it, like, like when you saw like two episodes, you were pretty much uh, like. I remember I really liked that show, but then like I tried to watch like a binge of it, and I'm like, okay, I kind of get it now. But... No, eventually, eventually, it's just these stupid robots, just like <laughs> trying to get because, underneath because, each other it, or whatever. Yeah, it's never gonna be like an amazing, like. I, I think those robots that they have now where they are really creepy and they have legs and they run, I think you can probably get a really long running show off of that. That's interesting. Like, you know, yeah, now these sure. robots are crazy looking. They're like dogs and and um, four legged weird things. But yeah, I mean, back yeah, then it was Boston like dynamics robots. Yeah. Yeah. Show with those. That, I mean, that would be like the number one show in America. That would be, oh, be the masked singer. Yeah. 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 It, it would be. I mean, but these things were like uh, broke r 2 d 2s They were. They were really kind of. They got lame. <laughs> really and, and like, <laughs> the, but the idea and, was great. The idea was the, the concept the, was great. The concept. The, the concept was amazing, and they really executed it with a lot of gusto. They went all in for sure. And didn't they have the guy from like Red Dwarf host it? Um. I can't I remember, but yeah. I mean, probably it, it sounds yeah. it sounds like if they didn't, they should have because it sounds it's like a very, good idea. It was very British. Um, in case anyone uh, can't tell already, we've got tea from uh, the Champagne Sharks podcast on today's tonight's episode of Night Rule. We're on episode eight. Um, if you haven't listened to Champagne Sharks, I, I cannot recommend it enough. It's honestly like probably my favorite podcast right now. Um, oh, last thank little you. while. So, um, you know, I think you guys have a lot of great discussions on pop culture, a lot of good psychology, history, uh, obviously talking about race a lot. Can you maybe like uh, for my five listeners, uh, give them like a quick uh, a quick intro into your into your show? I'm sure I'm sure uh, by the time this airs, uh, there'll be a lot more listeners. People are at home. Uh, star for content so so you're yeah. launching at a you're launching at a great time uh yeah the show is about well it's kind of interesting at an early conceit but i feel like it's kind of drifted from it so i'm not even sure what the show is ultimately about but uh we kind of uh created it to be like a show about race but that is not like other typical shows about race because i feel like um most popular shows or books about race are kind of written for the 
white or non-black gays, you know, uh, depending on who's being covered to, you know, explain it to uh, not white people. I mean, to, to explain it to white people. But the idea is that, you know, it treats uh, white culture and history and everything as the default and normative and is trying to explain um, blackness with whiteness as a frame of reference. And we thought it'd be interesting to do a show that um, was explaining uh, white culture and white racism to um, non-white people. And, you know, challenge, challenge the idea that uh, white people are, you know, raceless or cultureless that, you know, they're just like, um, you know, default, default and normative and, and, you know, give, give different uh, takes like that. I can't, fully say i'm sure that it's kept to that original original mission um, well, pod- podcasting is a rhizomic profession by nature um but I'm, i i think i think to a large extent for I, I think that ethos is still is still there i mean I, I i'm impressed because you did very much start out with that as like a and i'm sorry to interrupt but like a manifesto <laughs> almost type statement because i actually i recently last six months I, I went back and listened to your back catalog from like episode one and it's very rare to listen to a show where it's like episode one someone's just like this is why i'm starting this it's, it's almost like a statement of principles almost and uh and you definitely you know i think you achieve a lot of a lot of really interesting commentary um in that realm and obviously you're branching out now i know you're doing you're starting like a few different podcasts or a podcast network as well due to your success so it's only oh, natural yeah. that I like mean, you know com- and converse- long, form, long form conversations will naturally you know expand outwards right so yeah 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 i mean i'm glad you reminded me about that because that was like a plan and it's just we have not been able to figure out the mechanics of how to make that work uh, i think the only way it could really work which is why it hasn't happened yet is like ad revenue because if you try to do it with Patreons, we haven't figured out how to make it work. As in, mm, as how do you in do like, a new show? Yeah. yeah. Do you make a bunch of like? Do you make like four different Patreons? Do you try to put um, all the all of them on one thing, and then everyone splits um, the Patreon equally? You know, and all that stuff. We haven't figured out how how to do it. So that's the only thing that's kind of um, stopped us. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I, I hope to have that problem at some point, but um, uh, I'm, I'm disappointed. I was, I'm, I mean, are, are there still some shows like coming down the pipeline or like at least like being like thought about? Cause oh, there's, yeah, a, lot, there's yeah. a lot of really interesting voices in like the milieu of the show. Oh yeah. I mean, one thing we want to do, I would really like to do um, a female, an all, an all woman, an all woman show. But um yeah, I mean, okay, because because this this is this is my problem, right? Is that, is that I know a lot of times you want to do things ideally, but if people feel like uh, they're doing more work than other people, or feel like um, someone's not pulling their weight or whatever, then people get upset, or you know, like bad. Yeah, the classic uh, classic group work conundrum. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No matter how ideally you want to start it. So I wanted to try to make it as um, um, conflict proof down the line as as possible. And yeah, I mean, what I've been hoping and it's nothing to happen. I've been hoping someone else does it first. 
and then uh you know just i just asked them how did you do it you know and then that's um and then that's it but we're still we're still gonna try to do it and um yeah we're still we're still gonna try to do it um, the other thing is to is to get people who are very like-minded because i think um not to toot our own horn but i think we have a pretty unique uh view and yeah so so that's basically the deal with that because uh i feel like there's so much uh, homogeneity in in voices and voices out there and i they don't have to think like us but i think they have to have at least the same intellectual curiosity like i would like a diversity of thought just as long as you've arrived at that diversity of thought by you know being intellectually curious and and questioning not because um you know you just mindlessly regurgitate whatever's going on in your in your scene or subculture and you've got some whatever axe to grind yeah it's, it's funny how yeah. intellectual curiosity i mean it's one of the elements and I'm, I'm a bit of a pessimist i think i think my like my theory of history at this point and this is my you know couch potato slacker uh worldview but I, I feel like we're i feel like our culture is now in decline but as it declines it's going to be a long and slow decline over hundreds of years and things are going to get more just and more better within within that decline and I, I don't know what happens after that you know meteor aliens whatever we, but, we know um, what that's kind of optimistic because even if you think culture is declining if things are going to get better i feel like that might be a worthwhile sacrifice yeah i mean right? by, i mean by better i assume you mean like like in terms of equity and justice yeah and just you know eventually people are just going to chill out a little bit and be like you know what like we're all gonna it's all gonna go to tits up soon so let's just like relax a little bit you know yeah give, you know, people, it, you know, it, give it, people some money and you know mm. education and some health care and you know we'll, we'll just watch we'll all sit back and have buy from our beach enjoy the decline and, you know as like the star collapses on itself or whatever it is yeah i i can respect that because i feel like uh i feel honestly that uh, that is kind of ultimately optimistic because I feel like it's it's like the only form of optimism I can arrive honestly at. This point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm very disturbed with the decline of culture, but if I could be convinced that there's a greater good, you know, that's happening, I could be okay with it. I think it's a worthwhile. I think it's a worthwhile sacrifice. You know, like um, I guess my I guess my issue is I'm not convinced that things are getting better because I just feel. But my problem is because I'm looking at social media too much and social media is never a good place to find the best of what's happening in humanity at any given moment. So, well, and then on, on that topic, actually, I think you've probably like, cause I just, I, I've been hearing your commentary about Twitter um, and uh, the various like uh, kind of commentators within it long before I joined Twitter. Like I joined Twitter when I started podcasting about a year and a half ago, just to promote the other podcast. Um, yeah. And I was quickly kind of shocked <laughs> at like how a how well it kind of plugged into my inner like matrix, uh, like I call it, uh, like a casino if it was run by like the Borg. So, because I mean, even just like looking at the analytics of like uh, your tweets and the engagement uh, data, it's just like it. it personally, I'm, it's it's so easy to just get caught up in it. But um, just the personalities yeah. on there, it's really bizarrely like horny platform. Um, I got, I got, bizarre, I got bizarrely, like, bizarrely horny, bizarrely horny. Yeah. Yeah. Then, it, it, uh, yeah. 
people just like all kinds of like I really I I, I recommend I don't recommend it to anybody. Anytime anyone asks, I say don't don't join Twitter. But yet, yet I'm on it like you know a couple hours well, a day it, now. Well, it's kind of weird. I'm very pessimistic on it, but I still go on it a lot. Like I've gone on it less than I used to, but even if I tweet less, I am still occasionally falling down a rabbit hole or doom scrolling at night. Uh, so it's like, I mean, there's this, you know, I think the problem is that I think keeps people on it is the whole FOMO thing of fear of missing out where you get worried that um, something good's going to happen. You're going to miss it. And I think you spend more time uh, scrolling nonsense or mindlessly scrolling um, than actually doing anything meaningful. So it's like the, the middle ground I've been trying to go for is to try to only go on to Twitter with uh, intentionality. Like if I have a thread I want to do, or if I want to um, say like spend five minutes catching up on the news or, or look for commentary on a specific subject that's happening in, in the news and see what people are saying about it or DM um, different people or check my DMs. I try to do that, but I really try to limit uh, the mindless the mindless scrolling. I feel like that's where the real toxic stuff to your brain to your brain happens. But um, it's it's absolutely yeah. I mean, yeah. like that's a, that's a gift we could all give ourselves right now to just like make sure the the the, the doom scrolling, the mindless. I mean, one thing I always uh, one, one change I always I, I made that I always found made a big difference was just never having any kind of like notification on my phone that would like uh, any light that would uh, go on and off anything that catch my eye you know like if I, i'm only gonna pick up my phone again with like kind of like what you were saying with intentionality or or with like a, for a reason you know yeah because it's so easy to get like the all the people that design social media are like now like in like rehab clinics in the hills of like northern california meditating and like trying to like break the habit uh, yeah, it, but it, it's, it's just weird, man, because like, I don't want to toot my own horn too much because I feel like by me describing that, you know, it sounds nice. It makes it sound more like I've been able to achieve it than, you know, is actually true. You know what I mean? Like I, um, I aim for it and I feel like I'm moving that direction, but I still find myself on a bad day or a careless day. Um, it's like what's the I guess the best way to put it is falling off the wagon. You know, you, you know, like it's a very much like active um it's an active project like in progress, you know. And I just want to make that clear because I felt like I made myself sound a little too um, <laughs> enlightened, enlightened and uh yeah past the past the problem point, which I don't think I which I don't think I am yet. Like I like I, I try to keep you, you know what I would say is like uh, you brought up meditation. I think it's exactly like meditation. You know, if you've ever um, meditated, you are trying to keep thoughts from popping in your head and you do good for a pretty good amount of time. And then suddenly you realize uh, that you've been um, going down this internal narrative rabbit hole without realizing it. And you have to catch yourself and it's like, oh, my God, I've been thinking about um neurotic stuff for the past 30 30 seconds to a minute and you know you catch yourself and you go back to um blanking out your mind i feel like uh 
the intentionality in Twitter thing is like that, where I go a pretty good stretch of following the rules and then I'll catch myself. I was like, oh my God, I just uh, doom scrolled for an hour. Uh, how did that happen? When did it happen? I was just checking my DMs, you know? Yeah, so I yeah, think we can give. I'm gonna I'm gonna repurpose mm-hmm. some advice I gave to kids on a previous podcast. So um, we established on the Handkerchief Dynasty podcast earlier that um, not that doing drugs isn't cool. Okay, for this is advice for kids. Is is this segment right? Doing drugs is not cool, but talking about doing drugs is very cool. So instead of doing drugs, <laughs> kids, you just talk about doing the drugs. And I think what we need to do is we need to apply the same principle to Twitter. Okay, because it sounds very cool when you're when we're both talking about Twitter and even even like talking about being addicted to it and, and you know trying to break the habit and whatnot. Like, kids, don't go on Twitter, but still talk to people and and, and tell them, you know, oh, you know, I was doom scrolling all night last night. It's so blah 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 blah, you know, because then you still yeah. get that cachet without any of the the pain. No, very, very true. Very true. I think that's a great. I think it's a great way to, way to put it. it it's you know, it's kind of interesting. The biggest thing that has happened as far as me being able to spend less time in the toxicity that's twitter is to get uh mildly addicted to another social media platform and i was thinking like is that (laughs) is that progress like i'm on this Mm -hmm. uh platform clubhouse now which i find because it's very curated and right now it's uh invite invite only and they have uh loosely enforced um uh, real name uh real name policy mm. that that kind of curbs a lot of the toxicity because it's a voice platform and i feel like trolling and being obnoxious with your voice is a harder threshold than than trolling by text behind like a anime avatar behind a sure. fake name yeah. and stuff like that so it's it's got its problems but it's okay it's not terrible and there've actually been some constructive conversations but as it grows i'm starting to realize um that it's gonna get more toxic and weird and once they open it up to everybody and make it you know wide open it's gonna be full of like i think you know bots and weird weird profiles and and people with like multiple accounts and trolling so you know, I hope it I hope it lasts. I hope it stays okay. But I think at the end of the day, like um all social media, uh the end goal is to be uh toxic, take all your data and sell it and you know, make you hate yourself. So but, the, but it always seems to start out framed as like some some kind of utopian vision of just like, oh, this is how we're all gonna really get along and interact like better in the future. <laughs> yeah and even, like, and this, even more... this is going to be the platform yep. that's going to take all over all the other ones somehow miraculously too. but like I, I mean as if that's ever going to really happen but like they're it's, they kind of each metastasize in their own in their own way and and you know what else you know what else too right is um you know what else too is i think what makes that deception even more appealing is that for a short amount of time there usually is a bliss period or a honeymoon period for any platform. I remember when Twitter wasn't that toxic yet and it was just fun and jokes, you know, before it got, and people posit different things. They say it was, um, you know, the 4chaners, the Tumblr people arriving, 
the blue check media people the... sure everyone everyone's got their apocryphal you know analysis of like what what caused the decline of the roman empire as well but like we'll never yep. really know you know yep <laughs> it's yep, a combination exactly. of factors yeah but <laughs> that's, I think a, that's it's funny really... because like the mm -hmm. same way like we we asked the question about like uh, like 100 years ago the historians would have asked what caused the, the fall of the roman, roman empire the same now we treat the question of what made twitter so shitty with like the same gravity <laughs> Was it the four channers? Oh. Was it the tumblers? Uh, the Visigoths? Yeah, yeah. That's a great that's a great analogy too. It, it, you know, another thing I think that happens with uh the Roman Empire that I think is makes it a great analogy for what you said before about the decline. I feel like history has a way of just by the way it's presented and written, of collapsing time in a way that we take for granted. So it'll be like yeah, and then um, there'll be a timeline, and then from 800 to 500 BC, decline of Rome, uh, 500 to so and so. And I'm throwing arbitrary numbers. I don't know when uh, anything sure, happened. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just throwing up. Uh, I just say that because there's always pedantic people who get me on Twitter, and it's, it's like around actually that. the Roman fifth, Empire, fifth, fifth century. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Byzantine, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, I think I might have said like uh, BC, and then they'll be like, uh, "Well, actually, Roman Empire was after Christ." And it, it, like, I'm just throwing out numbers, so in case, don't contact me. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, but but yeah, you know, like, and then it'll say like, you know, um, 500 to 800 AD, uh, decline of Rome, 800 to so and so, Dark Ages, and then you know, it's easy to just kind of think like, "Oh wow, like, so." this happened and that happened, but then, you know, you gotta remind yourself like, uh, 300 years is a pretty long time, you know? Uh, and you have to like, think about it as in like, uh, if you think of 1720 to 2020, you realize, oh, okay, that was, uh, you know, when you put it in perspective of the modern day, you realize, okay, that's the equivalent of, you know, going from 1720 to 2020, which is all to say like, change is like way more gradual uh than i think people give gradual and, and granular and yeah and the, you know you could read all kinds of fascinating like academic papers on like you know trade networks in the during that period of time and others all it's interesting like i think i think it's there's different strands i think there's unfortunately traditionally a very like uh kind of disney of disneyified version of history that's that's really predominant. I think maybe it just comes down to human nature and people want to organize information in a certain way. They want to understand history through like certain uh, heroic figures uh, and, and they don't, and then they issue complexity and nuance. But of course there's all kinds of people out there as well that represent um, the much the opposite where they're going to delve into the nuance and complexity, but they are kind of going against the the grain and and I feel like it's it's harder and harder for like historians. Like I think did I hear this on? I think I heard it on your Champagne Sharks podcast. You were talking about how like historians like basically like have no respect currently in society at all. Really? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. They, they don't. I remember saying that, but I came up with a context of where we were. Um, oh, you're talking about like uh, like uh, sessional uh faculty and and like uh oh yeah uh, like precariousness of academic work and how people were being encouraged oh you know if you're a historian you should branch out and work in a museum or like work do tours or do this or that and you know yeah like, i remember as someone that I really I, like i really enjoy history um and I, but i do think like we've gotten to a certain point where like for example um like the most 
mundane, run-of-the-mill, kind of dusty, uh, like classics course that you would have taken 20, 30 years ago. Um, and that, that gave you, you know, very a very like well-researched, but very like mainstream view of like uh, the historical subject. That's now a podcast that like for like 40 million people have listened to and, and like they like love it and it's like you get this good feeling listening to it because you're you're into history and you're listening to your history podcast and like you're not you know you're not on tiktok or whatever yeah you, you know like um i feel like context is really ruined in the rise of content so to the point that even history does still survive as a hobby or whatever in this current content culture is just an accumulation of facts and homework and you have people who you'll talk to and they clearly have been gathering historical facts or anecdotes from different podcasts and tv shows that they digest and the context of it is all wonky and ruined and nothing relates to each other in a coherent way or is able yeah, to it's be all tied disjointed in. yeah yeah it's all disjointed the wrong lessons are taken from it uh it's not properly tied into the modern day it's 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 just a big me- a big mess you know and, and uh, yeah a, a big a big mess with some whimsy kind of wrapped around it kind of you know yeah I yeah kinda, i kind of i kind of winky kind of oh well you know you know, you know, uh, Marco Polo, blah, 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 blah. But like, it doesn't, yeah. it, doesn't, it doesn't even take it that seriously. I mean, I, maybe I'm being kind of a pretentious ass. I mean, it certainly would be the first time. But uh, I, I, mean, I, I, I worry I worry that like, although there's definitely still people out there, you know, I mean, I just, uh, the last episode I was just talking with Harvey JK. There's like still definitely people out there doing like really interesting work in history um, and you know, I'm encouraged by that, but I I, I want to see that somehow more like proliferated out there because like it's just so much more interesting than getting the kind of the kind of Neapolitan ice cream. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, something you said, too, I think is uh, interesting. You say, I don't know if I'm being a pretentious ass, but I'm like, let's say you are. It doesn't mean you're wrong. <laughs> it's not like a pretentious ass has never been right about something like, you know, uh, I always think the idea <laughs> that uh, I mean I'm like that with everything. Like sometimes I'll I'll see something and it's a good point, and then someone will be like, "You know that person is a reactionary racist, right?" And I'm like, "Well, yeah, but on this one thing, like they happen to be right. This is, you know, <laughs> like I don't agree with. I'm not going to read them for their race views or history views, but uh, you know, sometimes." Um, people just strike on the right conclusion for the right the right reasons so i would argue uh, you know i don't think you're being a pretentious ass but even if you were it wouldn't change the fact that uh yeah i appreciate right. that fair <laughs> point there was one thing you said that i thought was actually really fascinating too which is um and uh you know i took a couple of couple of philosophy classes way back way back in the day and not really the biggest plato guy um but uh it's definitely the, the, when you said that the the content has no context or or it's like anathema to context. It's kind of disturbing to me because like or even even someone who is like a Hegelian or like a Marxist would say that like everything ever like an object for example is situated within a context. It exists. It, it's it's made of like matter. 
you know, it may be, it may be tied to more ethereal concepts like social relations or, you know, metaphysics or whatever in this way or that way, or there are someone's is an idea in someone's head, but it's situated within a context. But if, if content is, is, is devoid of context, I mean, like, what would Plato say about that? You know, he would say, yeah, well, and, well, that's, sorry, the whole, that's what, that's what con, that's what content, that's what, you know, there's form and content. And if content doesn't have any context, it's just this, it's, it's like a whisper in the air, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's true. And also I think I should probably um, re-examine what I'm saying to a degree too, because um, I mean, well, no, I think, I, think, I think it's I think it's quite apt because I mean, like if you just take this hodgepodge of uh, of kind of info bits that someone's loaded into their brain and then they spit out in, in a mixed bag. I mean, like that's what is that other than like a decontextualized, dehumanized, like simulacra of like ideology or whatever, whatever you want to call it. It's like not good. Yeah. Oh, no, you're absolutely you're absolutely right. But uh, the part of what I was saying that um, I've been thinking about this about how to re um, frame it but it's still like a thought in progress so i haven't had a final answer but um i was thinking of it in terms of how like uh, a lot of times white people particularly like european or uh american uh especially um anglo-american because the culture is so dominant across the world anglo-american culture like uh, english is everywhere as a language uh, a lot of the concepts are everywhere the um ju the jurisprudence the jurisprudence model is is everywhere uh this idea that people think of white america or white uh europe as being especially white england as being the absence of culture like every other place has uh, a culture but uh they don't and you know one of the things of our show was to kind of say um no, you guys very much do have a culture that's as idiosyncratic and um, full of positive values and, you know, exist as any other culture. It's just that it's like the air we breathe. It's so omnipresent that people um, don't really notice it when they walk into a room. Like if you ask someone to um, describe the contents of a, of a room, uh, no one's going to say, oh, it's full of, of air, you know, because they take it for granted. But if you draw a fish out of water, uh, air is going to be all that it can notice and, and see. And mm. I've been thinking like that about context. Uh, but this is an unfinished thought, so I don't even really know uh, what the final answer is. But I was trying to think, is contextless um, any more possible than uh, culturelessness? Of course not. You know, I mean, that, that's that's yeah. the way I was just thinking. I mean, you can't. Um, it's something that I remember. Uh, I don't know if it was a professor or someone said it to me, or I read it in a book at the time. But it's like you can't. You can never step outside of history as much as you may want to. You know. It's, yeah. It's 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 a process that it, that is omnipresent. It exists all around you. So you can you can under you come to increased understanding of things um, and change your perception, change your awareness, but ultimately. Trying, trying to somehow de completely decontextualize or step outside of history is a fool's errand, obviously. Yeah, exactly. So I was trying to think, like, you know, when I say, like, people have no um, context, am I phrasing that 
correctly, even though I think he gets the point across, I was trying to think of there's a better way. Yeah, to, no, um, I, I see what you mean because it's uh, it's it's the same kind of thing where the, like there's a false neutrality to it, right? Yeah, kinda, you want to kind of put that integrate that into the into the thinking a little bit. Um, yeah, and I don't know what the final um, answer is. I'm welcome to any uh, feedback on that, either from you or your listeners. Like, that's an example of something uh, you can contact me about. Like, I like uh, <laughs> thoughts like that. Because a lot of times, like, some really good thoughts come from guests uh, or people whose podcasts I've guested on or even, um, you know, listeners. Uh, I've had a lot of thoughts that have been stuff that, uh, other people have have uh, sparked. So I'm always welcome to things about that. Because yeah, I was wondering, like, can you actually ha- have a truly contextless um, culture? Or is it that um, people just live in a time of unexamined context? Like, uh, they're creating context, but they don't want to let themselves um, be consciously aware of them so that they don't have to answer for them or explain them or 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 question them like um like i think there's a lot of unspoken context that we have now that we um don't allow ourselves to say out loud or don't allow ourselves to examine too deeply so that we don't have to answer answer for them and i think that's oh i think it's i think it's responsible for a lot of like psychic ills writ large socially speaking you know like (laughs) i think there's a way i think there's 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 an element to the mind where it it understands to a certain extent this kind of unspoken contextness or contextuality somehow i mean i honestly uh, i've got i've got a lot of different theories on that front but we probably don't have time for that three-hour conversation but finish your thought sorry um, no, I mean, what, what you said is pretty much pretty much on, on the money. Like, uh, I think one good example, right, is uh, Mark Fisher's idea of capitalist uh, realism, you know, where this idea that, um, pe- uh, you know about capitalist realism, right? I, I don't want to just assume um, everything. I, I, I don't know if I've actually, yeah, you should probably remind me if I've, if I've forgotten. To be honest, I'll be fair, I haven't read the book myself i just know the theory from his speeches and stuff i own the book i just haven't gotten around to reading it but it's the idea that okay, send, send me a picture of the book to prove your the veracity of your claim and then, then i'll give you full <laughs> credit and authority to speak on this top subject okay so pending that i mean i mean even if i send you a picture of the book i've already admitted i, did, I, I didn't read it so i still i still shouldn't get any credit <laughs> like reminds me of something my uh, yeah. professor told me once where it was mm-hmm. like i think althuse was in prison for like shooting his wife or something and someone was interviewing him and he was like look dude like i never even read that much marks okay marks okay like it's mm-hmm. fine it's fine like whatever i was just pretending. yeah i feel i feel a lot of people uh, i feel a lot of people have it which is which is funny uh but but um i only say that just so that if i butcher anything people understand i'm not claiming to be a authority on the, on the premise but the way i understand the premise is that uh capitalism is so normalized and it's the only system so many people have known for generations that people literally can't imagine a system oh, yeah. or a of world course, yeah. out outside of it so uh all their solutions all their whatever it's kind of like they can't step above the system to look at it you know from from the outside uh, because they can't con- even conceptualize a world a world without it and he calls that uh 
capitalist capitalist realism and um i was thinking uh that is right but i think it might be a symptom of like another type of realism which is the realism of um everything worth saying everything worth doing everything worth uh discovering and thinking has already happened so people can't imagine a new anything not just capitalism but but anything people think that the only thing left to do is uh refine like there's nothing to discover there's nothing to invent there's nothing um i don't think people even think there's even uh disease even cures left for diseases i just think people just think uh we've done everything uh all we can do now is just manage refine and yeah i mean i think it's that's pre pretty much pretty much it uh just i mean just, there's just definitely fine there, there's a huge element of that in um in media you know tv and and film um but i think to a certain extent um that's kind of a self-serving uh, proposition for a lot of for a lot of those types of people I mean yeah. but, but there's also again it comes down to like originality of thought versus originality of expression I mean we probably have neither in a lot of cases on, on say TV right now um, maybe some yeah, originality yeah. of expression but like again this is this is why my my philosophy of of our, our culture being in, in starting a long precipitous and glacial decline like gives me comfort because it's like I think of um, like for example there was uh, I remember again something I picked up from a history class. So there was the Hellenic, the Hellenistic age in, in Egypt. So after Alexander the Great conquered all of all the parts of Asia Minor, they divided it up. Uh, his generals divided it up, and then there were the Ptolemies in Egypt, which is the dynasty that Cleopatra was part of. Right? They were the Greek rulers of Egypt, and they had the Great Library of Alexandria, and it was a very literate time. Um, and I remember a Professor telling me there's actually there were thousands upon thousands of thousands of novels written around this time. Um, in that culture in Egypt. And uh, and I was like, oh, really? Like, I've never even heard of any of them. And it's like, yeah, nobody really bothered to hold on to them, to any of them, because they all they all kind of sucked. <laughs> yeah. it, was all, it was all just kind of shitty. Like, it was really poor quality of love writing. So that nothing really, like, nothing was worth keeping, which is, I always thought to myself, I was like, oh, man, I wonder if I'm living through that a little bit right now. And, and I think a lot of it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, too, right? Because I feel like, if you believe in that, then, you know, you can't say, I think you used the word self-serving before, but I think it's absolutely right. Like you, if, if the unspoken um, context, and the reason I was, I was bringing it up is I was trying to say like, what I think people view as a lack of context or a lack of belief actually is a positive um, context or a positive belief. It's, it's it's kind of like when someone once told me um when you refuse to make a decision um that's not really the absence of a decision that's a decision in and of itself uh mm, yeah that well, is very the, much the, a positive the core of the core of the bhagavad gita which i think you might be familiar with i'm not sure uh, i'm i'm not so by all means Sorry, go ahead, enlighten go ahead. me no no i'll, I'll say uh you, you can enlighten me but um or if you want to enlighten me later, you can. It's up to you. Well, I still but, have to ask you for. for I know uh, I can start the wind down procedure. I know we might have another fifteen minutes or so. I want. I want. I want to be sure your wife has a bat signal prepared, which needs to pull you <laughs> oh, away. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 She. She does if she needs me. Okay. Cool, uh, cool, it'll cool. be fine. Okay. Okay. So you know what? 
let me just wrap wrap up this thought really quick and then uh you can either inform me of the bag uh bag of uh, i was you can just call it the, 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 the everyone calls the, it the gita i think yeah 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 is you, you could uh inform me on the gita or move on to another topic but what, what i was just going to say is i'm starting to realize that what i'm calling a lack of context or you know a contextless culture i'm starting to realize that there is a positive value system behind it j just the same way as the person who makes no decision has made a decision to not act that's actually is a, a positive choice there's no such thing as a cultureless world a decisionless world a contextless world and i'm trying to more evaluate it as in what it's probably more that it's not a world of contextless contextlessness but a uh, world of um deliberately not questioning or examining the context that people are choosing to live like people i think are very much choosing to live unexamined lives and choosing to not let themselves be aware of the context in which they're living because um they feel powerless i think to change absolutely them. yeah yeah so what's the point of even trying to question or figure it out it'll just be too depressing so so like you know the context just let me enjoy my star wars even if it's not that good you know yeah yeah exa <laughs> exactly but i think people are making conscious choices and um contextual decisions to a degree that you know even they're not even they're not appreciating yeah and it adds up um I think it all adds up. I mean, um, I've got so many, so many directions I could go here. Hold on, my mind, my mind is expands like a potato. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you're thinking of that. I'll throw out, I'll throw out an example, right? Like when people are just, and we use the words mindlessly. It's a word I use a lot. You know, people just mindlessly doing, you know, what, uh, you know, boosterism of like, like Disney, Star Wars, and 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 all these different shows and everything. Um, and you say something bad about it. Um, and you say something bad because you're, um, uh, you're applying like, you know, context and deeper thought. And you say, well, this kind of sucks. Uh, it ruins the arc of Star Wars or the original intention of Lucas, you know, just to give an example. Uh, someone will go into your mentions and on Twitter and be like, "Shh, let people enjoy things," or you know, "Stop being a fuddy-duddy," or you know, "Stop being a hater." And you know, I would say, "Oh, people like that hate context," you know, like you know. But I'm like, no, that is its own type of context. You know, it's a context of I have nothing left to enjoy. This, that doesn't look forward to. So I've given up on thinking things could be could be better. Like things can't be, you know. I'll give another example, right? Uh, liberalism. Uh, for a long time, I've thought of liberalism or centrism as being devoid of values. Like you know, um, you know, th these people don't believe in anything. But if you look at them, the way to get mad at Bernie Sanders and get mad at Trump they do believe in something like their wishy-washiness is not an emptiness of 
values. It's a emptiness of believing that things can get better. Things can, things can change, but yeah. it's very much a positive belief. One that they will get angry about. That's why I love the term. Someone started saying it and I don't know if it was uh, tongue in cheekness that was um, accidentally deep or if, if it was a uh, intentionally deep thought, you know, or what, I don't know if it was intentional or struck on accidentally, but people started using the term rad lib, like radical liberalism or radical centrist. And I think it was meant to be like ironic tongue in cheek because <laughs> they were saying, oh, they don't believe in anything. So calling them a radical liberal, radical centrist is like a ironic own. But I think it may actually be uh, very apt. I think they are and can be as radical as you know the worst reactionary or the staunchest uh, tanky that's really interesting um i hadn't heard that term before I, I think i think there actually is um i think there's an element there because i i actually think part of that is fueled by a certain segment of the population just being frustrated that like true centrism is not is not really like represented um in spite of the fact that we have this kind of bizarre non-ideology of neoliberalism that that is governing like the whole the whole globe like i i feel as though wait, wait, it does come down to it, kind of did you call it a non-ideology well i mean in terms of i mean i call it that because i think of it as you know the government basically looking to business and finance and saying look guys like you just you know you got it you got this you know which i which i view as but again, again, I mean, I'm not saying I'm yeah. not saying it's. I mean, I I call it, it's it's a it's kind of a surrendering to a, a, the ideology of another. So I guess it's cert it certainly <laughs> is an ideology. But yeah, see, that's exactly what I mean. The the, the dilemma I'm having is it uh, is it a non ideology, you know, or is it a positive ideology of? It, I mean, it could be caring. something like um, I'm sure you're from maybe you're familiar with this um concept in psychology of learned helplessness mm -hmm. um i think i think it could be something akin to that like i feel as though because i'm i'm what like in my late 30s now so i grew up very much like uh after the you know uh, 9 11 war in iraq in that era and i feel as though for that generation who grew up uh with things such as you know the memory of, of vietnam and including the vietnam war protests and and that war ending and then the end of the cold war it was a much more hopeful, there was a much more hopeful kind of zeitgeist to the 90s, even with things like Kosovo and whatnot. Um, and then when, when Iraq happened and when any, anyone who was involved in the anti-war movement at that time, I feel as though basically would have come out of it in say 2003, 2004, feeling like ultimately, you know what, like we can't stop horrible things like, you know, destructive wars of aggression from happening. And we have to, if, and I feel I feel like in my my gut instinct is that is that that's when people started to turn to say to see okay well what can I change what can I control what can I affect oh well I can make this person feel guilty about this or I can I can focus like you know everyone got super into food at that time <laughs> yeah yeah there were a million I, different things I mean can you expand can you expand on that a little bit I'm 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 interested well, I mean, uh, just like, because, uh, the, you know, if you look at things like, um, you know, if you grew up in the 80s, like, let's say you were born in the 80s, late 70s to mid 80s, you know, you would have had your baby, baby boomer parents who 
were trying to be nicer than like their parents probably were to them. Let's be honest. Like generationally, that's just kind of how that vibe goes. So, um, you know, as long as you didn't have any kind of uh, like economic issue or, or other issue affecting your childhood, you probably grew up in a world where you're like, okay, well, you know, there's, there's still this cold war going on, you know, there's red Dawn and movies and James Bond, but like, and it seems like there's stuff going on. And then it's like, Oh wait, the, the cold war is ending. Oh, look at that. There's like Reagan and Gorbachev signing the, the peace deal. And then like shortly thereafter, you know, you had uh, Arafat and Rabin with, uh, with Clinton, you know? Oh uh, yeah. You're going yeah. into the nineties and everyone's telling you you're, you're, you know, you're still in school, but everyone's just like, dude, like, the world's like looking at things are looking up, man, you know, mm. and then Let you, get, you get into university and then it's like, oh, mm. but, but by the way, we're just going to invade this country for their oil. And like all these innocent people are going to die and there's nothing no one can do about it. It's like, oh, OK, well, I guess things Let, aren't all that rosy, are they, guys? Yeah. Let me let me ask you this and tell me what you think. Um, I think this overlaps with what you're saying, but um, it might not. But uh, tell me what you think. I remember with um, Francis Fukuyama. And he had the end of history and everyone yeah, exactly. kind of dissed him for getting it wrong. And 9-11 was supposed to be the thing that proved him wrong. But as time goes on, uh, and this is a case where I haven't read the book. Instead, I've read everyone's um, summary of the book. So I might be getting his thesis wrong. But the longer times goes, I think he might have been right as far as describing the dominant mind state in the world today, you know, which is, you know, things can't get better. Like history, I think the idea of an end of history is not that different than what I was thinking of as far as expanding capitalist realism, this idea that uh, all the ideas have been thought, all the conflicts have been set in stone, all that remains is to just refine and, and manage them and no new thoughts, no new concepts, nothing is. Like, I think capitalist realism i'm just sorry, i think end of history or fukuyama is not totally wrong as far as describing the idea of um how a lot of people approach approach the world and i think um very much modern liberalism is a sense of that but uh to give it to give an example uh i was there was a guy who was talking about, again, uh, the example of Star Wars, but this is recently in my head. So that's why I keep bringing it up because it recently happened to me. This guy was like, hey, you know, uh, people who get worked up over a work of fiction and get angry, uh, you know, the worst kind of people uh, is just a piece of fiction. And, and it's about the show The Mandalorian, which I don't even watch, right? So I wasn't even invested. It's pretty in good, it. actually. It's honestly like not bad. I'm I'm surprised how much I like it. Given, but like that's a whole other conversation. Like it's uh, not I've it's heard... not it's not perfect. It's 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 a little video gamey at this point. There's a lot of fetch quests. Yeah, I've heard I've heard good things about it, but I also heard for some reason there was a finale that some people didn't like, and this guy was getting mad at anyone who dared to to vent anything negative about the show, but. He wasn't uh, even yeah. doing it from being passionate about liking the show. He was dissing the idea, it seemed, of just passion in general. So he was like, I just want to watch things that remind me of my childhood and this and that. And if you've um, had 
if you've had any like, strong thoughts to the point that you're analyzing and saying negative things about the show, uh, you need to get a life in all this stuff. And then I responded because that really kind of bothered me, not because I had any particular thoughts about Mandalorian. I haven't seen it. Uh, I was kind of saying, what you're suggesting is this total uh, apathy. I don't understand the, because I'm like, in the world where no one can dislike something, that's a world where liking something becomes meaningless as well. Because um, it's kind of like uh, pain. Like you can't cut off your ability to feel pain without cutting off your ability to feel uh, pleasure. Like the idea the idea that you can only numb yourself to pain, but still somehow feel good sensations. That's not how things work, you know? So it's, so it's like, if someone puts anesthesia on any part of your body, you won't feel pain, but you also won't feel anything uh, good either. Like, you know, if someone put anesthesia on your, on your penis, or someone kicks you in it, you're not going to feel anything. But if you try to have sex, it's not going to feel, great either and and emotions are like that you mm. can't numb yourself or cut yourself off from bad emotions without constricting your ability to feel good emotions so i was so i was like i was like what you're describing is you know i think horrible like i don't want a world where no one gets mad at anything because then no one's ever going to be able to sincerely enjoy anything either that's just only thing is what you're describing is not real enjoyment. What you're describing is mindless consumption. Like yeah, I, it's a I was de- like de-evolution. Yeah. 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 I, I, I was like you being against anybody feeling anything negative about a show says volumes to me about what you're passing off as your enjoyment of the show, which is that um, it's I soothing. Don't it's just a soothing some kind yeah. of. Yeah. 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 The show to you is anesthesia it's not positive feeling and some people confuse that's what drug addiction is drug drug addiction is confusing anesthesia with actual positive um emotion like you want so bad to not feel something bad that you cut off your ability to feel something good and replace it with anesthesia and then tell yourself the anesthesia is the actual positive uh feeling you know and when I was saying that, I kind of realized like they didn't care. They were like, yo, that's fine with me. And I was like, okay, so this is not just leak, an absence of stuff. Yeah. I was like, this is so this is not an absence of caring or belief. Like these this is a positive value. Like anesthesia is their positive value. That is their context. That is their belief system. But this is what was interesting despite the fact that they were getting um, angry at me over despite the fact that they were um, criticizing the idea of getting angry at a fictional show, as I stood my ground, they were all getting angry at me. So they were like, you know, well, it's, it's stupid to get angry at a fictional show and blah, blah, blah. And you guys are people like you suck and this and that. And I'm like, okay, you're getting, you're saying that it's silly to get angry at a fictional show but you're getting angry at someone's opinion of the fictional show so 
you're still getting angry. So, you know, you believe in something yourself. Like, you're not being, like, if you really didn't care, like, if you had true apathy, you would not have, you wouldn't care if I liked or disliked the show or anything. But I feel like, first off, I feel like people like that, they don't really sincerely believe, like, they... No, they don't, the statements don't match the behavior. Yeah, the statements don't match the behavior. But also, I think someone like that, if you like the show too much, on the merits and in a well-reasoned way, I think that would probably upset them too. Like if you were like, I love this show and this is why it reminds me of a long history of Republic serials and the old Flash Gordon and and it ties into Joseph Campbell's monomyth and he said all this stuff. I think that would bother them too. They'd be like, you know, get a life. Like it's not that deep. It's just fun. Like, you know, why do you have to ruin good things by overthinking it and i was like they're not really mad at they're not really mad at um the anger they're mad at any strong reasoned um historically rooted emotion at all like again it just has to stem from some kind of sense of like learned helplessness like there's no point there's no reason to like try which which if if that's something that we're seeing uh, like on mass culturally that's not that's not very that's not a good thing for our species <laughs> like, yeah not, yeah that can't that can't be a good sign you know like exactly Le- learn helplessness is a great way to put it well yeah, yeah totally. like um for anyone who maybe doesn't know like the way the way i was introduced to it was the um the experiment was something to do with like an electrified pen with animals and it's a horrible like these are always the most horrible stories of these experiments oh yeah here. yeah and it's like they just they would electrify it um and zap these animals um and at a certain point if they if they if the animals knew there, there was no way for them to avoid it they uh even even if they could leave the pen if they had been trained to think that they couldn't avoid it they would they wouldn't jump out they wouldn't try you, to jump know- out and you know, this is a great example of what I was saying about how, uh, you know, great ideas, you know, come from conversation and stuff, because I think in the course of this conversation, you've given me the answer to my question, which is like, what is the positive context? What is the positive value? And I think it's learn helplessness. And I think I think you put a put a name to it. I knew the theory, but I know it's by a guy called Martin uh, Seligman, but I've oh, never so you know thought. Me, yeah, yeah, I've never thought to apply it to this, and I think that's the positive value of liberalism. That's the context. That's the positive context that's masquerading as a lack of context. Like the mm. context is a context of learned helplessness. The positive value believed is a positive value of learned helplessness, even if they haven't consciously articulated to themselves i believe in learned helplessness or hey you know like if you were to ask them what their explicit or conscious belief was none of them would say hey you know i believe in learned helplessness that because i think to admit that to themselves would depress themselves even more and well it's a, I it's think a, that's, it's a yeah. subconscious element as well i think I yes think exactly the, the repress the, the the repression of that is is uh let's say it's a flavor that will will make you know result in many different delicious dishes psychically you know like it's gonna it's gonna flavor a lot of different things yeah exactly and i think the argue the angriness that people were feeling at me was because i was attacking their ideology like uh, you know that 
things matter, you can make things better. So, um, you know, it, it, it'll be similar to like the guy who's uh, anesthetizing themselves with drugs all day and making themselves numb. Uh, they may not care any about anything, especially while they're high. But if you take away the drugs, uh, suddenly they'll find that emotion and get angry or the closest thing that um, looks like love or positive value in their lives is their quote unquote love for drugs. You know what I mean? I think that's sure. probably what these people's relationship to learned helplessness is. They have a learned helplessness or a numbness to everything except the idea of learned helplessness. Like learned helplessness is the only thing that they're willing to have any expression of love for. Well, and, and you know, to work up any anger for. And Baby Yoda and Chewbacca and whatnot and all those things. Yeah. I mean, you know, but, stick with, stick with but, me but, and I'll, but, I'll, I'll, I'll be happy to provide more, you know, somewhat insightful, but, Yoda, but kind of like deeply depressing. <laughs> Maybe a little but, bit But insight. Baby Yoda and Chewbacca, right? I'm going to build on what you said. I think you made a great point. To them, they are totems of learned helplessness. That's what they like even about those things. Those things are embodiments and symbols of learned uh, helplessness, the same way the Virgin Mary statue or Jesus on the cross is like a, a symbol or an emblem of, um, man, I, I think well, but I mean, at least, at least, at least yeah. the medieval Christians would have had, you know, some nice songs and singing and dancing, you know, maybe if they were lucky, <laughs> their, their priests yeah. would molest them or something. There was some, jo there was some <laughs> joyfulness. There was some joyfulness to the pageantry. They're like, okay, we got to go through the motions, but it's fun. It's fun. But I feel like that there's, there's no joy in the motions now. You know, so it's like, that's oh, the, great, the, yeah, that's a great. I gotta point. go get the new toy for the kid who wants this, and you know, every year. But like, yeah, not, that's a great it, point. Yeah, kind of, that, kind that, of, kind of, yeah. This has been a very thought-provoking conversation. I I'm really glad. To, no, I'm. I'm I, I think so too. I really appreciate you taking the time to to come on. It's been so nice to meet you. And then, like I said, you know, continue to stick with me. Maybe if I'm lucky, we become friends, and I can continue to give you uh, somewhat <laughs> insightful rant. Like once in a while, once every few months, I'm good for a trenchant <laughs> but very possibly incredibly depressing insight about how <laughs> fucked up things really are <laughs> i'm also i also like the black humor i'm a fan of black humor and the and the if they're lucky the police the priest will molest them joke is is right up my alley that's <laughs> that was funny. well you know i think i think honestly the the clergy were getting laid all the time back in the day i have to ask i had a, I have a medieval uh oh, i don't know if you, you know I'm, saying, it. it's really I'm sure interesting it's, oh, i'm sure it's all over the place yeah uh uh I found out when I was reading about Catholicism, it was a book I read in college. It was so good. And I can't remember the name of it. I've been trying to find it for a lifetime, but it was all about sex scandals of the uh, Catholic church. And there were like these Catholic bishops or priests that had a sex room full of <laughs> young women. And it was like these people's <laughs> families brought these women to like the priest to cure them of something. And the priest decided that the... Uh, cure they, they decided the sex. cure was was dick basically yeah yeah basically basically <laughs> this weird <laughs> convoluted logic to it that you know no we're not just helping ourselves to this um you know uh young uh young nubile flesh <laughs> there is a um loftier rationalization uh to this that just happens to evolve ejac ejaculating for us and it was just uh well it, it, i mean see, even, they were, even dirtbags were more innovative back in the day like, <laughs> that's like 
but that that is kind of one of the law like I'm, I'm a very i'm very interested in the history of religion and spirituality and and i'm respectful of religion i found it very interesting as a subject um but like ultimately i think one of the laws of religion is at a certain point someone's going to try and like sleep with your wife or daughter and say god told them to you know like that just seems to be the direction these things go especially like and it's certainly in any cult yeah yeah and 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 i and i think it's no coincidence that like i don't know if you know who like chuck wendig is or no um, oh he, he he's uh someone who writes for star wars and marvel but he hangs out with the hamilton guy but he's also like a super shit lib like what i was gonna say is like i feel like it's not coincidence that a lot of the people who write ya and write for disney or are like um part of like the access shill media are also super centrist libs like i think all of that where there's liberalism whether it's um um mindless consumerism all that stuff i think it's all probably and this is something i'm this is a theory i'm forming in my head as i'm talking to you because i'm talking to you and you put the idea in my mind i think it's all um symptoms of learned learned helplessness i think it all is whether it's like uh, the 4chan doomers like everyone's well, having I mean, or, or like, different reactions the, to it there's then there's the commentary i mean their version of it is like i don't know if you've ever heard the term like servant leadership or like it's this idea of like there's certainly a learned helplessness aspect of like okay well how do i actually get ahead in this system yeah. say like politically or as a commentator or as someone in media or as a, a writer for tv and you kind of know what the kabuki is to do you know oh interesting i'm i just um made a note to look up servant leadership after we get off get off the 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 call because that sounds that sounds uh pretty good i think a good example is um biden and and hillary like if you were to ask like people who are very into bernie you were to ask them like you know why there's very much a belief that better things can happen. So there's an idea that, so their passion isn't about Bernie. It's about um, the things that Bernie's espousing, which is, uh, you know, Medicare for all, uh, uh, closing wealth gaps, different things, you know, uh, reversing inequality. But if you look at these people who are passionate about Biden, um, there's nothing that Biden's saying that is very um, into moving the needle in any direction. There's no, uh, it's all about the return to normalcy. I think that's even what he said, like, you know, bring back normal. I, like the, he has a kind of slogan where it's like, I'm just going to, the only thing I'm promising is to bring things back to 2011, not to actually make a better world than we've seen before in any point in history. It's just, uh you know hey, trigger and, trigger the balloon drop and the cheerleaders yay back to 2011 yeah ex ex exactly and nothing in <laughs> biden's platform they're passionate about but they're passionate about biden like you know it's the same thing like they're they're passionate about the learned helplessness they're passionate about him as a emblem as a totem of learned helplessness and i think you're right like uh you really did make this more bleak, even though it's a great conversation. <laughs> you really, uh, well, I'm, uh, that's, that's, you, I, I, I honestly, I have a lot of fun doing it. So, yeah, you solved the, um, puzzle, but the last piece was putrid. <laughs> that, that, that was the, that was the catch. And you know, what's ironic is that people always accuse me of doing that to them. So it's very interesting. 
I'm they glad to give, to give you a break from being accused of that. Yeah, I'll, I'll be happy. To, I'll be happy to take those on. Listen, I know. I know. We said we go for an hour. I think we're we could probably go. We could, you know, all things considered, I'm sure we could uh, go for another hour if we had to. But um, yeah, just have yeah. To have you on again sometime. Oh really yeah, yeah. Conversation. And I have to and go. I did. I did want to say to anyone, um, if you enjoyed this conversation, I, I I love your commentary on Hamilton. So check out Champagne Sharks episode three, for uh, I think it's titled "Why Why I Hate Hamilton." I think there's a lot of theater nerds that I might know out there who haven't had anything to cheer about. You know, theater nerds, they don't really have a play to cheer about. It's more than once every five to 10 years. So a lot of them, I think that I've talked to about yeah. at least, they're still clutching to it. and just like, just let me give, give the songs are good. Listen to, listen to Champagne Sharks 3 and we'll, we'll set you right, okay? And I think uh, Hamilton itself and the response to it, especially by people of color, I think itself is an example of learn, learn helplessness. And I thank you for uh, giving me that, that framework. Uh, I'll make this offer to you if you're interested. I enjoyed this conversation uh, so much. Uh, if you're interested, I can cross-publish cross it as an episode of um, Champagne Sharks. Are you kidding me? I would be so honored. No, that's an okay. incredible offer. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Feel yeah. free. And it, and and then um because you'll have the recording here too right um i don't know i'm i'm like i'm not literally a boomer but when it comes to technology i am a boomer so i have, I have no idea but um uh, like i would just put it as like a honorary episode of champagne sharks and you know hopefully build awareness for your podcast uh, that would really that, that would be so great i'd love that i mean honestly you know it's just I've, I've been such a fan of you guys for so long that like just getting to talk to you at all has just been a thrill so i'm just i'm just grateful that you were able to take the time and yeah i mean that would be fantastic i'll shoot you a message with a link in a bit okay cool sounds great yeah. thank you so much for taking the time to talk man and uh and i hope you enjoy the rest of your holiday and i'm, I'm really looking forward to you know if you're amenable when you have time we can continue the conversation and continue to uh depress and enlighten each other <laughs> all right that sounds great and uh, and uh definitely let's do this let's do this again uh you can come on uh sometime in the future i'm booked for the next two or three weeks but let's set up something after that i think it'll be uh fun awesome dude okay have a good one Okay, you too. Take care.